Welcome to Disjointed. Our podcast's mission is to bring a voice to the problems facing decision-making in the built environment. Today, communication and processes are disjointed in the world of design and construction. Work happens across tools, teams, and timelines, making it hard to keep everyone connected. It's a constant challenge to reduce friction and meet project expectations. We believe there's a better way. And welcome to Season 1, Episode 1. I'm your host, Jeff Sample, and I am excited at the opportunity today to really dig into the meat and the heart of the discussion that we here at Disjointed are so focused on. So, And I couldn't have asked for two better guests to start this off. First, I'm going to introduce Sala Eckard, Director of Digital Building Lifecycle and Innovation at Microsoft. Sala, say hello and introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. And thank you, Jeff and Disjointed, for inviting me to be on this podcast with John. It, it is a pleasure to be here. And to our audience, uh, Digital Building Lifecycle is something net new at Microsoft and in the industry as well. Uh, so it is my pleasure to be here to talk about how do we actually engage the, the traditional AEC industry with the O and create something that is completely new and disruptive, transformational, uh, and the future for the built environment industry. That is awesome. Sala, tell everybody a little bit more about what your focus is and, and what possibly you work on at Microsoft right now. Yeah, so um, I started working with Microsoft and for Microsoft three years ago, and, and that's when we started looking to uh, how might we be the intelligent real estate owner that is supportive of BIM-centric delivery of projects and how the BIM-centric design and engineering carries over to digital construction that then delivers that foundational data and information for owner operations and can be used as foundational capabilities for digital twins and the metaverse in the future. So that, in short, is uh, what I focus on. Well, that is, that is a mouthful. I, there's a lot to Microsoft. So can you be a little more specific about kind of which area we're going to be focusing on and that you focus on for Microsoft? Yes. So at Microsoft, it is focused on the internal real estate and security. How do we continue building the best end user experiences in our campuses and, and workplaces and workspaces in the future? And how do we digitally transform all that good stuff? Awesome. Thank you very much. I just wanted everyone to get a good idea of your perspective. But as you heard Sala already allude to, we have another guest with us today. And I'm excited to welcome John Stebbins, Principal BIM Subject Matter Expert at GAFCON. John, talk a little bit about yourself, why you're here, and how you relate to Sala and Microsoft in this, uh, in this relationship. Absolutely. So GAFCON, <clears throat> headquartered in Southern California, and I'm here in uh, Southern Oregon, uh, we have been engaged with large owners, uh, mostly in Southern California for over 30, almost 35 years. And several years ago, we were asked to join the Microsoft team as a vendor to help them evolve and develop the BIM standards, BIM uh, BIM guidelines, and, and quickly evolved into um, taking on the role of attacking the whole digital building life cycle, <clears throat> what I call from, from womb to the tomb or, 
or napkin sketch to wrecking ball? What does that look like for an owner? So we're, we're looking at the entire life cycle of the building and BIM is just one component of that. So we like to say that we're a BIM centric, a digital building life cycle uh, facilitator. And we work with Sala to uh, you know, bounce ideas back and forth to help her uh, guide her, her vision and to execute on her vision. So the, the bottom line is we work with, we like, we at GAFCON like to work with large owners, what I would call enlightened owners that, 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 that have a vision, serial builder owners that build many buildings and have large portfolios. And we couldn't ask for a better client. Well, that's an, that's an awesome setting the stage for why we're here today, because we're talking about that enlightened owner. And I want to shed a little bit more light on what it means to be an enlightened owner by kind of setting us up with the problems that I think that we're facing. And it's, you know, how is Microsoft and GAFCON together as partners attacking the challenges facing owners that are focused on delivering quality projects with predictability? So Sala, why don't you start there as to why you would, you know, how you're even, or why you're even changing over to this building life cycle. We, it's not all about technology, right? So these problems that we're facing, what, what were the, the impetus for starting this at Microsoft? Good question. And um, there is a, like three legs to the stool, how we are looking at the digital building life cycle. And it is that what might we do with the people that are managing the processes the, and the business use cases uh, with technology, uh, and that's the approach what you're taking, that it's very people-centric. It is about building partnerships. It is about collaboration and open innovation. And, and really thinking uh, critically that how might we uh, build the future more collaboratively? And, and how can we uh, showcase compassionate leadership? Because we are dealing with so many subject matter experts that know uh, their scope of work, like the back of their hands, but their point of view into the same project might be completely different from ours. Traditionally speaking, the, the architects and engineers and contractors, they're the creators of our built environment, in, uh, built environment, but the owners, they are the financial, financial organizations. They are the ones that are managing the budgets. Um, so having them uh, speak the same language um, that is our challenge, and, and data is the answer, that uh, data is the common language, and, and that's what we are really focused on. How do we create data-centric uh, uh, build environment for the future? Well, and you've really unpacked a lot there. So I want to go to that compassionate leadership, though. I, I, that's really from the focus of of being involved in the conversation, right? And having visibility. That's something that classically we just haven't had, especially owners. Because you said it, the AE and the C they used to be considered, you know, the, the creators of this, but truly it starts with your idea. Absolutely. Uh, and that's where we are collaborating with GAFCON that we are creating clarity to uh, what the end goals and the outcomes are a few years from now. And how do we uh, kick off the projects in a way that everyone has the same vision to work towards and that way, the architects and engineers are there to optioneer the, the best feasible options for us to choose from and for technology to enable us to consume what only exists in digital format. 
and then continue on where the, the amazing contractors that are actually manufacturing and fabricating, constructing the physical artifact based on the digital twin. Uh, and that way, continuously having the, the clear end goal in mind, the same uh, outcomes in mind, uh, and the outputs are chosen as a, as a team, team of experts. Well, I like that because that's that compassionate leadership, right? That's, that's the, you know that they're the experts, but you need to consume their expertise because their expertise does not take into account your perspective. So that's a, that's a critical component. And, and I'll bring us back to it because I don't want to, I don't want to leave you sitting there for too long, John, when you start to think about those challenges that GAFCON sees facing, you know, your owners that you're working with, these, these, uh, perennial builders with large portfolios, you know, you have a little bit more perspective around all the different problems facing the quality projects, predictability, other problems that are facing owners like Sala and Microsoft. Well, one of the things that we discovered along the way in our journey, because we started being invited to simply, uh, let's look at the BIM standards and update them, right? So we realized as we went along that BIM touches everything. Now, when we say BIM, we're talking about the not just the models, but the information associated with the models. We, we've, we developed this concept called the digital thread. And the digital thread is what is the connective tissue that holds all of this information together. Um, and a lot of people, when they think of BIM, they think mostly of geometry, the, the models. But we tend to focus on the I in BIM. And... Um, that's why I is at the middle, is at the center, building information modeling or modeling for building information. So how can we mine uh, all this information and this that we can turn into intelligence that we call the digital thread that, trend that transitions through all the different departments within within a large owner like Microsoft. So what, what we find in working with large owners is there, there's a natural tendency for people in their divisions within the company to become somewhat siloed and uh, within, their own, within their own world. And uh, if anything, to me in one wor word, BIM is about collaboration. So how can that digital thread that interpenetrates through all the different departments within a large company, uh, a, a large company that is a serial builder or a uh, company with a large portfolio of buildings. And in Microsoft's case, it's, it's 800 plus buildings. How in the world do we collaborate with all the different parts, the financial parts, the security parts, the, the project delivery parts, and get them all kind of pulling together like a, like in a, a, a tug of war. Because if we had a tug of war, we wouldn't have people pulling in all kinds of different directions. We'd have everybody pulling in one direction. And so that is probably the most challenging thing that we can undertake when you have a large organization with, with many, many vendors that contribute to the efforts. It's a massive undertaking. And so what we are starting to realize is that if we if we see all these different components as as wheels in a or cogs in a very intricate Swiss watch, and they're all spinning around and sometimes spinning around 
perceivably on their own. How can we get all of those cogwheels to mesh and function as one clock with one true north straight up and moving in that direction? That's what we're realizing is the next step that we need to engage in and let BIM be that connective tissue, let the digital thread do its thing. So without that, we, and without the standards behind the data and the information, we can't accomplish all the great things that BIM promises or that the, the world of digital twins and, and building simulation promises. So that's where we're at right now, developing this internal synchronizing function that we call the, uh, the program management office or the PMO within the organization and I'll be uh, acting as a support person uh, to help that program information office synchronize all these moving parts and get them to mesh. Well, that and I want to break it down a little bit because you've you've really hit on quite a few things, and you hit on exactly what what uh, the team here at Disjointed, what I focused on, and what the team at Join focused on when we were looking at this process of building and how disjointed it is. That's why we came up with that word because it, and you hit on something key is first finding true North. What, you know, Sala, I'm going to spin it to you for a second, but you know, when you hear finding true North, what does that mean to you? So, um, from that perspective, uh, how in the digital building life cycle, we would look at it is defining the outcomes that we want to achieve, not necessarily focus on the outputs, but really define the outcomes and then asking the other leaders and the experts that how might we actually achieve these? And that way, let them have the choice of what is the most feasible option? What is the most cost-effective option? What actually helps us solve many issues before they become problems and how can we avoid uh, problems from occurring to begin with, uh, one of them being um, the unnecessary investments or overinvestment into something uh, as a real estate owner or um, um, choosing a product or an asset that then in the long run is more expensive to maintain and upgrade than it is compared to some other options. So overall, um, thinking about that total cost uh, during the life cycle and, and really optimizing the total performance of the physical environment, but also the, the social environment, and then clicking down into uh, what is the technical execution of that and how is that technical execution then designed and engineered for. Uh, so it, it kind of uh, pulls the, the discussion from very uh, intricate, detailed discussion of technical attributes into something that, um, what does our portfolio look like a decade from now or 20 years from now? And how does it play into our overall story and brand as a, the greatest technology company in the world? Exactly. And so when we hear that, when I hear that, I, I want to translate that and, and maybe John, you can take it from here a little bit, but I hear target value design or target value delivery. It's understanding what your value as an organization is for Microsoft. So, you know, a, a small builder, it might be to flip a building for you. It's, it's about a portfolio. It's about 10 years, but it's also about the feel 
of the facility. It's about the physical and psychological impact for the people that are working with it. And who knows, maybe it's even about, well, how's this going to change in five years? Because we don't know. So maybe that's a value. So when you hear that, John, I know when you hear TVD, you, you perked up there. So I mean, what does that mean to you and how does that apply in this process and how do you help that disjointed nature become joined? Yeah. <clears throat> Excellent uh, way to pose the, the 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 thoughts that are running through my mind right now. So there's a few things. Number one, I want to emphasize uh, something that Salah said. We're trying to be preemptive. We're trying to preempt issues. And that's why we like to nurture the virtual building or or the series of BIM models that are being de- developed at the highest level so that not only are they uh, they, they clash detected and issue issue free uh, and and well coordinated that they are located in one uh, common data environment that to, and currently we're using BIM 360 where we can get as many trained eyes people that know how to look at buildings and designs on the model as possible not just the technical people but uh, we go through a peer review process. Uh, with outside vendors that look at what other vendors are doing, other uh, architects that look at other architects. We want as many people within Microsoft to engage in the models as possible so we can preempt as many things as we can so they don't turn into train wrecks later or big problems later that are going to be harder to fix down the road. And one of the things that I'm very impressed with with Microsoft is the amount of of brain power and compassion and consciousness that they put into the employee and the guest experience. And when you go into go up to Redmond, especially in the in the Redmond campus and you walk in to their buildings, it's 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 like another world. It's a it's a it's not your typical office space, which can often be rather cold and and uh, boxy and and uh, not very enlightening or inspiring, but the my, the buildings that that I've seen in Redmond, Washington, the central campus for Microsoft, are very playful. They're they're colorful. They they have a variety of room types, a variety of spaces that are designed purposefully to inspire people to bring out the best that they can in terms of their own brain brain power. And as we know, Microsoft being, you know, one of the major technology companies of the world takes a lot of brain power to come up with it, with what they come up with and all the software offerings and the, and the cloud-based services, et cetera, et cetera. And most every business in the world uses their technology. Well, so how, how can Microsoft make their software better? Well, one major way is provide incredible, environments for the creative spirit to flourish. And so it's I love to go to Redmond because I, I get to be in these incredible buildings that inspire thought. <clears throat> and when you when you when you walk the halls of any any Microsoft space, you feel like you're you're at the UN. You're you're at this internationally um, based uh, you're with a, a, a variety of people from a variety of different backgrounds, lots of different countries, both pretty much an equal balance of, of male and female. And uh, uh, 
different skin colors, different sizes, different ways of expressing yourself. It's pretty mind blowing. Uh, so they're very purposely set up to create the optimal experience for their clients. So what we need to do as technicians, if you will, as as facilitators, is how can we create the models, the data, um, put them in the right place, in this case on the cloud, and get as many people collaborating and looking into our process as possible to optimize its transparency and to find issues, discover them early, fix them early, so they don't become problems later, all in the service of this, uh, of this wonderful concept of providing the best employee experience. Well, and that's providing a, a challenging set of, I could say, issues that could come up because classically in the AEC business, it's really been about the cheapest option. It's been about cost savings, cost savings, drive costs down. How solid do you articulate that? I mean, that's got to make for some challenging decisions because you're asking someone that's coming into that environment that John's kind of laid out and you're saying, hey, drop it at the door and help us make decisions that are based on far more than just cost. How, how, do, you, how do you handle that challenge and, and what problems has it, has it shown up or, or put in front of you? Yeah, that, that's a good one. And um, how I've started to shape it out is kind of shaping it around the investment strategy that every real estate owner has and, and how that then forks into the capital expense planning and, and then operational expense planning. But communicating that back to the design and engineering team and the, the contractor team, also the FM teams that that what are you willing to invest in and what is your expectation of the total cost of ownership, how that then ties into cost engineering the project, uh, meaning the, the spatial um, program and the size of the project so that it doesn't come as a surprise to people that you can't afford something that they've designed for you, but really being clear about that target value design and target value delivery uh, and shaping it around the, the investment strategy, but then thinking also about the the value engineering of the options that are presented to you um, with uh, the building information models or digital twins in the future. Uh, that should be the primary purpose of collecting data and creating the data to begin with, that it is a decision-making tool rather than reflection of the past and the history that you can no longer change. And that way, the, the, the cling that value engineering as a term has is not about stripping away everything that, that is emerging technology or aesthetically pleasing or something that is cool that has not been implemented before, but it is about value engineering the different suppliers and opening doors for those that are doing things differently and continuing to improve the outcomes. And, and that way, it's not always commissioning and procuring the same old, same old based on the specs that were documented about 10 years ago, etc., and then choosing just the aesthetically more modern looking device that still functions the same way as it did 10 years ago. So this is kind of the, the uh, contrast that uh, I want to bring forward, but it really ties into uh, the investment strategy and how we communicate that back to uh, the creators 
but also the operators and get them to have a dialogue or a roundtable discussion as well, that those that are going to be living with 80% of the total cost of ownership are vocalizing their needs back to the, the people that are focusing on creating the digital replica of the physical artifact early in the game. I mean, that's a great breakdown right there because you talk about the 80-20, right? 20% goes into construction, 80% goes into the life of the building. Um, before I let and John jump in, I, I wanted to get there because there's something involved in that, Sala, that a lot of owners don't, I, I don't think they, I, I want you to educate a little bit. What you're talking about doing is really about opening yourselves up. Right. There is this, you're talking about a level of transparency into the ownership and why you want to do things. Um, has that been a challenge or how have you gone about doing that? Um, cause a lot of owners I know are hanging on to that past. They might, you're talking about the same old, same old specs. They're talking about the same old, same old transparency. You'll do what I tell you to do, but you're talking about opening up. And, and collaborating and joining the entire Microsoft together with the rest of the process. Is that, it has, how has that transition happened at Microsoft and how have, have you been focused on that? Is that what I'm, am I hearing that right? You're hearing correctly. And it <clears throat> kind of connects my team with um, my colleague's team that is focusing on the future of workforce and, and what does the Generation Z look like when they enter the job market and the baby boomers become the minority? And that is the generational change that is happening at the same time as the digital transformation. And people that are now eighth graders or are, are not in the workforce yet, they, they have very different leadership style. They have very different style of working. Uh, and that's where we need more compassion. We need more empathy. We need more collaboration. We need new ways of uh, looking at things and, and different types of expectations. Um, and that's a challenge that uh, has been ongoing for a very long time already. And it's not only a, a challenge for us as an organization. It is something that everyone is dealing with uh, and re resetting and realigning their mindsets that um, how do we create a future where people that are choosing their career paths uh, also see the built environment industry as attractive, as something that continues to inspire them, that continues to be something that they are proud of, uh, that doesn't burn people out or doesn't bore people out, but kind of provides a platform for all kinds of different career um, paths and, and continues to intrigue people in what what the future might look like. Um, so from that perspective, um, there, there's a lot that needs to be done. Um, but now that the dialogue and the roundtable discussions have started and, and there is more um, bridging the different generations and using technology to yeah, communicate better, uh, expose people to experience their project when they are only in digital format rather than waiting until the physical artifact exists and then starting to explain what they actually wanted. Um, that's a game changer that now we can finally have a, a more fruitful discussion about what our um, outcomes should be, what are we actually aiming for and, and communicating that back to people who don't necessarily have the same experience and expertise as we do, 
but we'll eventually have that and even more. Um, so it, it's it's a very a kind of a it's a broad subject, is a broad topic, super interesting one. Uh, and if we continue focusing on the future rather than um, the past, uh, that's where we can get on the same page of why we are doing it. Well, it, it's a very transformative approach, right? And it and it's something that the industry needs to understand that the rest of the A, E, and C, that how much Microsoft's investing in, and that GAFCON's facilitation of this is actually going to help us not only grow the industry, but change what has been a very, um, I, I would say, poor view of, of exactly what it really is. Maybe not so much the architecture, but the engineering and construction side of things has been seen in a very different light over time. And, and that's a huge piece that the industry needs to, to understand. And also, it takes owners that have that ability like you at Microsoft to get out there and lead the way. And I think that's why I wanted to have you on that conversation. And I know, John, there was a lot you wanted to talk about. And I think we want to take it back a little bit to that 80-20 and that, you know, making those decisions and that those are challenging and how you, you are facilitating as the subject matter expert, facilitating the rest of the A, E, and C, understanding that mind shift. Yeah, indeed. Well, for the first part of that, Jeff, is the realization that owners are where the action is. Uh, and owners are really the only group that can totally transform the building industry. I know architects like to think they can. Contractors like to think they can. And I love both of them. However, it's the owners who are with the building, they're with that built environment for most of the 40 to 50 years that that building is planted in the ground. An architect is only there for a year or two, a contractor is there for only a year or two. So it's the owners who need to take the leadership and they're the only ones, I believe, that can transform our industry because they are, as I, as I say, the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end of every project, and they have more power than they realize. And they need to take that power, take that, that inspiration, and uh, become more enlightened in order to truly lead this uh, evolutionary or, or transformationary process that's going on within the industry. And in order to do that, I've kind of boiled down the whole process of doing that into nine essential components. I can go into, into depth uh, about that, but I'll go just really quickly through what are the nine. What are the nine components of a truly transformational uh, BIM-centric digital building lifecycle approach? First of all, you need a vision statement. And uh, Sal and I have talked both, both of us about uh, you know, what Microsoft's vision is and the focus is on the is on the end user experience the 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 building occupants experience whether they're an employee or whether they're a guest the next thing is the owner needs a really strong set of owners project requirements and you could call them design guidelines that, that clearly define what they're looking for from the design team you need a a very well detailed and thought out set of bim standards with with owner authored templates. So one of the things that we do the the centerpiece of our our BIM standards at uh, at Microsoft is the BEP template, the the BIM execution plan template. 
And so we author it and then we have our AEs and GCs fill it out. <clears throat> and uh, then we have a bunch of documents that reference the, uh, the, the, the BEP. And we believe the owner should author that and make it a template so that there's consistency across, across buildings. And there are a lot of components of the BIM standards that, that are essential that I can go through at a, at, at a later time in our presentation. But to move on to the big nine, the, the next thing that is extremely important is to me, in many ways, BIM begins with a contract. So the design and construction contracts need to be BIM, BIM enabled. And, and um, that means that the BIM standards need to be referenced. And it, if you don't have that, you can't really enforce uh, you know, BIM strategies. So we, we need to make the, uh, any large owner needs to make the, uh, uh, the, BIM, uh, the BIM portion of what we're doing enforceable and have teeth. Uh, we need a common data environment, a place where we can put the, the documents and the models and, and the drawings, uh, ideally one place. So you could call it a common data environment. You could call it a, a common collaboration platform. We, we have chosen BIM 360. We believe that should be owner-sponsored, <clears throat> not, a, not an architect-sponsored or, or, or funded. We're not a contractor funded, but the owner funded so that both the AE and the GC and the operations team can have one place they go uh, that's a single source of truth for the entire project. You need some type of steering committee, which is an owner's internal committee to guide the transformational changes and, and to set the standards. Somebody that makes the decision on what should these stand, not only design standards, but the BIM standards should be. Uh, we also believe number seven in, in the essentials, you need an internal communications program, some type of an effort within your company to let the people know what you're doing and to get feedback from the people that are actually, you know, in the trenches delivering the project. So at Microsoft, we have two things going. We have what's called the BIM Champions Group. And whenever you're doing any kind of transformation work, you need to identify who the key champions and change agents are, the leaders, the people that can lead or change, lead change within the different divisions of the company. And we have this thing called the Digital Building Lifecycle Roundtable, which I host on Thursday. Thursdays. So every Thursday morning, we do this quick and dirty one half hour. What's some of the latest technology that we're assessing and deploying so we can keep folks that are involved with us at the cutting edge of, of uh, digital transformation? Then I mentioned the, the, uh, the, the program management office or the PMO. You need some way to synchronize and keep these, these gears properly um, synchronized and, and, and optimally functioning uh, within the entire organization because BIM and the digital building lifecycle transcends all, all of the different uh, divisions within a company. And we like to, to organize our work around three horizons, horizon one, horizon two, and horizon three, and I can talk more about that in detail. Uh, and then finally, you need a BIM facilitator, a project manager of the um, of, of the digital version of the building. So we have the virtual building and we have the real building. So uh, just like a real building needs a project manager, the virtual version of the building, the BIM portion, uh, needs a BIM facilitator, or we call we call them at Microsoft the BIM subject matter expert, the BIM SME, who basically, in essence, makes sure that 
that the BIM is delivered per the BIM standards. So those are the nine components of a comprehensive program. And not all the components, but they're the essential components of a comprehensive program. If you don't have all nine, you're not going to hum along and you're not going to mesh everything together that needs to be meshed. Now, it, it had to have taken a lot, and there's a lot to break down in those nine steps there, but it had to take a lot and uh, of collaboration between you know, Sala and John and the teams at, at play. So Sala, talk about a little bit about, again, it's an investment. I, I just keep hearing this and I think it, it gets lost that there is an investment in being a good owner. In fact, a great owner in the long run, uh, a compassionate, empathetic leading builder. So talk a little bit about how that process went down. And when you hear those nine steps come out, that's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. And and when thinking about um, serial old owners like we, uh, we built to uh, hold on to our portfolio. We don't build to flip the buildings and, and then make the, the problems that we created someone else's problem. But really uh, try to think about the long-term strategy that uh, what is it that we are leaving behind or what is it that we are creating for the future? What are people going to be dealing with? Are they going to be issues or or are they going to be problems? Or is it just going to be unicorns and rainbows, so to speak? Because uh, in the future, people have the digital replica of the physical artifact so that they don't have to be blindsided uh, or second-guessing that what is it that they are going to be uh, dealing with when they go boots on the ground or when they are thinking about when is the optimal time to make tenant improvements or retrofits, renovations, revamps, when it's optimal time to expand the portfolio, etc. So when thinking about like why invest in this type of digital transformation now, it, it is to future-proof uh, our portfolio in the future and make sure that people choose us as the future employer uh, in the built environment industry as well, that uh, people have certain expectations about digitalization uh, and it's it's not enough to just digitize paper. Uh, it needs to be something that's more transformational and, and something that supports automation between a machine and a human being so that in the future there is less and less of a tedious uh, updates of attributes because those attributes can already be pre-populated and provided, but really uh, engaging people more in discussion and, and joint decision-making uh, and thinking about when should we and what might we, uh, thinking about how traditionally speaking, uh, any changes in the physical environment are based on calendar, that something is five years old, so it needs to be replaced. But with the digital building life cycle, we are constantly monitoring the technical performance of the building, <clears throat> but also the social performance, so that we understand how the end user needs are changing and how the, the building is aging uh, and be more proactive and predictive uh, rather than just um, making decisions based on calendar. And that way, the information and the data and the evidence is there to back up our decisions. And and when we make a choice, it, it, it's uh, at the right time. It could be a little bit earlier than the classic 
five-year, 10-year, 20-year-old uh, calendar, but it might be also a little bit later, and, and that way avoiding unnecessary investments too early in the game. And, and when thinking about the future workforce, that people might be changing their careers from technology to a build environment or from build environment to finance, etc. cetera. Uh, so we're going to be having people mixing their careers in the future and not necessarily working for the same, um, in, same organization for t- 30 years and then retiring, but pulling a- and bringing a lot of different experiences into a, what their job is at that point in time. But then technology is there to fill in the knowledge gaps and to bridge the the knowledge transformation from those that have been in the industry for 30, 40 years, um, but might be retiring, but leaving behind the digital breadcrumbs that are then easy to consume. Um, So that's that's kind of why there is a need for investment in digital transformation and the digital building lifecycle now that uh, we have... uh, more evidence in the future, and we have that accumulated uh, digital thread to understand what were the decisions that were made now and how they are actually impacting our future. Yeah, having having really that that historical information to really drive future decisions through informed decision makings, what we all want, right? We don't we don't want to just change things every five years, every ten years, because the manual says that that's what you should do. We want that living, breathing. Um, asset to tell us what we need to do. But I'm going to flip this and challenge this. And I, and I want to bring this to you here, John, because not every owner out there is as enlightened, nor do they have the same value that you do, Salah. But you brought up something that I want to challenge owners that might be listening in, or even contractors that are listening in to tell their owners, you're talking about those that make those decisions that then flip buildings, right? But you hit on something that's key because those are assets, right? And those assets have value. And as they build, they have to be competitive over time. And you've talked about the changing landscape of competitive buildings. Because if they are smarter, better, more equipped with what you're talking about, so better decisions have been made, there's an opportunity to raise the value of that asset. So as a developer, if you're flipping, you do have a driven reason. You might not have a portfolio like Microsoft that, you, that you're going to want to grow and change over time. But John, these owners, these developers that might be flipping have to look at their assets moving forward differently, right? Yeah, they do. Um, they have to look at the bottom line much more than a company like Microsoft because they're trying to make money and, and flip the buildings. What Microsoft <clears throat> is trying to do is to create an environment whereby they can get the highest and best version of their employees as possible. And it's an altogether different mindset. So what GAFCON does is we don't work for just anybody. Number one, we have to, it has to be a large owner with a large portfolio who has a long-term vision in mind, but just maybe don't quite know how to make all the pieces fit and get all get all the gears turning so that the the clock can function as as one. And so we 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 choose the one percent of the one percent. So if you take uh, the Fortune 500 companies um, and you narrow it down, let's say to ten percent, what's the one percent of that ten percent? And those would be our clients. 
they're the bigger companies. They're the companies with large portfolios. And they're the ones that have the potential to be the most enlightened and the ones that could potentially be the force to really transform our industry. Um, smaller, Smaller owners can't do that, really. That's the key, right, though, John? You're trying to, by engaging with them, you're trying to enlighten those groups that aren't that 1%, right? If we just have a 1% of enlightenment, we're not going to have the stretch that we all want to have. But somebody has to do it. And by doing it, you're showing them a difference in the value of the assets they're creating. So if I'm selling to a, you know, I'm selling a building, but I'm selling it to a startup, this might get weird that I'm selling it to a startup that someday wants to compete with Microsoft. Well, they, that, that building as a developer, now I have to think about the employee's experience because Sala and her team at Microsoft has already put that into their buildings, right? That's the competition I'm talking about. And that's where the reach that we want to have is. And and certainly you can do that. And the smaller, the smaller builders, whether the residential or office, office uh, facility or factories, whatever, uh, can they can have the same type of awareness that Microsoft has. They just need to think beyond solely the bottom line. And 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 how to get the cheapest thing possible, uh, but but again, if you're if you're building flipper, that's one uh, one awareness or consciousness. Then if you're a building sustainer, whether you're a small company or a large company, I really do believe that in order to find the best talent and and maintain and hold your talent, which is a real challenge in the industry right now. Uh, you need to be thinking about the employee experience. And and one thing just to kind of tie in your your overarching question about how how do you communicate the co- the cost? Well, in my mind, all of these things that we do reduced costs. They don't maybe there's an initial first cost of implementing these things. However, when I say reduced costs, I'm talking about total cost of ownership. That, that, that Sala mentioned, uh, preventing issues, uh, setting up digital twins so that we can get intelligent, actionable feedback on how the building is performing so we can adjust the building and fine-tune it so it uses less energy. These, these things save money. They don't, you, but you've got to look beyond first cost. And the way to do that, I believe, to tie in one of one of our favorite subjects, Jeff, and that is the um, the target value and have to have proper design target values and to remind the bean counters within our organization who are looking to value engineer out certain things to remind them. Oh, if you take out, for example, the shading devices on the south end or the south side of the building, just because it's going to be cheaper to not have those shading devices. And these are, we designed them as retractable shading devices, and certainly they're going to cost more money. But if you take those out, then we can't fine tune the building to keep the sun out 
to, to prevent overheating in the summertime. So <clears throat> with the right target values, <clears throat> the, I, I believe folks like, like Sala and myself and, and the true champions and leaders within the organization will keep reminding various participants in, in, in the company uh, what the target values are, keep the big picture, keep, keep our eye on the prize, keep our eye on the end the end game, the end state, and then the folks within their their own divisions, like for example, um, estimators, will realize, yes, I might I might get a bonus if I if I pencil out a bunch of stuff and get the building cheaper because I've got rid of what maybe some people might consider fluff in the building. But if I do that, what are the implications to the target values that we establish? So the target values get people out of their silos and focused on the project, on the big picture, on the portfolio. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, you're really bringing them into the fold and making them a part of the project so that they're connected to the vision of that project. I, I want to pivot before you know we get we're getting long down the road here. I want to wrap it up in a little bit, but I do want to talk about the opportunities that this vision creates for the other stakeholders. There's a misnomer that this is really just about you all. There's a real opportunity here for inventive, smart, well-thought-out builders, contractors, trade contractors. You all know what's going on in the industry when we talk about modularization, prefabrication, new ways to deliver buildings. How solid does this open up those expertise and really bring them into this discussion? That's a good one. Um, so as a, in, in um, some other discussions, I've, I've already talked about how traditionally speaking, um, the services are kind of procured and, and, uh, and um, acquired as single single time service. Uh, you, you order a, a design service and once that's delivered, it's done. But the industry could start looking into the digital building lifecycle as continuous services design and how the original project teams could become technical advisors for the real estate owners and investors, developers, to uh, help them understand that what is the data and information and the evidence actually indicating about the total performance of the, the built environment. And, and that way, um, there's like three ways of looking into uh, that continuous services design. And it's uh, I think about building as a product that how do you continue keeping that, that physical building performing at its highest performance? And how do you uh, harmonize the different uh, smart building systems and, and the, the concrete and the wood and the steel together in a way that it continues to, uh, to function as a high-performing machine, so to speak. Um, and then there is the, the financial analysis of building as a service that what kind of services should you be providing for the, the tenants and the visitors, the, the end users of the building, so that they continue coming back and they want to be uh, spending as much time as possible in that built environment. Um, and that way there is a, like more of that like financial analyst, analysis uh, perspective into uh, building as a service. But then uh, thirdly, it's the, the end user experiences and, and how people could consume 
the built environment as, as a digital environment with the extended reality uh, platforms and, and solutions. And, and that way, people who are, are not physically capable um, to uh, enter the built environment and, and spend time there, they can have the equal experience in a completely digital format and maybe have even more enhanced experience. Uh, and that's where things get very interesting that if you can augment uh, the physical inv- physical experience uh, by creating the fully digital experience and then releasing people uh, into that world, then uh, there's a lot that could be uh, done and the technology basically already exists for it. But uh, the masses of developers and the masses of end users are still coming. So those, those are the three perspectives. Yeah, those changes take a lot of time. Um, but investing in those technologies actually can really transform the way the built environment is experienced by users. So I don't want to let that go behind too far because it, it it's a really important piece. And I think it's a game changer when you talk about mixed reality and that extension of reality into the virtual for those changing in built environment. But you hit on something that, you know, here at Disjointed, for me, it's really about pushing people forward and pushing contractors and trade contractors and architects. And you hit on something that I'm just going to be frank. Like we said, we're going to have those challenging, productive conversations. You hit on the competitive advantage that contractors and trade contractors and architects can have by understanding these transformations. And John, talk about this when you're facilitating or going after, or if you're a new contractor and you're going after this kind of work, what kind of competitive advantage does being involved in this digital building life cycle, these new methodologies bring? I think the first thing that comes to my mind is laser scanning and, um, and reality capture. <clears throat> because one of the most challenging things to do at the end of a project is provide a set of as-builts so that we can leave behind. What's your leave behind? Well, you're leaving a building behind, but we want to we leave a digital building behind too. So that could be used for digital twins. It could be used for future renovation. <clears throat> it could be, it's the record model and the record drawings of the project. And contractors don't really do a very good job of that. However, we have it in our BIM standards that that will be provided <clears throat> by the GC. But uh, since laser scanning and reality capture is getting less and less costly, there's very little reason to not do it anymore. And this way, rather than rely totally on an updated model or updated drawings to be the as-built, why not leave a, a laser scan? or a, um, a reality captured version of the building, which really is the truth. Because you can kind of semi-cheat a model, right? You can kind of fudge drawings a little bit. It's pretty hard to do that with a laser scan. So I think reality capture to have that, <clears throat> that component, especially for the larger builders, I know most of them already have purchased, went out and purchased laser scanners, and they have teams of visualization uh, teams that go out and, and and do these things, but to be able to leave a digital artifact, rather 
rather than just the building artifact to the owner is going to be a huge competitive competitive advantage. Uh, the second thing that comes to mind is real 4D, not, not Hollywood 4D or um, fluff 4D to win the project, but using um, using the fourth the, the, the fourth dimension of BIM, uh, time and schedule to your advantage in terms of, of proper construction sequencing and use it by the supervisors, use it in the owners' meetings to be um, uh, just, again, more eyes on, on the virtual version of the building to see, to be able to, uh, to do that time lapse looking backward, but also looking forward in terms of what we're going to accomplish this next week or this next month and be able to see it uh, without necessarily having to graph it or chart it in 2D um, in terms of the work, the work to be done. Uh, and thirdly, I know Microsoft safety is a huge, huge consideration for Microsoft because they just don't want anybody to die. Nobody wants anybody to die. But in the old days, I, I tried to think, the, the guys that were supervising the Hoover Dam, just like they were in a, in a battle, they would know that if we're going to take this hill, we're going to lose so many people. We're going to have casualties. And, and the, the big builders in the old days knew they were going to lose some people building the Golden Gate Bridge or building the Hoover Dam. Okay. Now it's rare that one person dies in a whole company for a whole year. So we we need to to take advantage of technologies that can that can keep our job sites even even safer and and pre-visualizing and pre-staging using BIM models, for example, can be very very helpful in that regard. But those are three things that come to mind. Yeah, you're spot on. And when you talk about, to bring it back to the beginning of my question, you know, we talked a lot about TVD and that goes to the quality of the product that you're receiving back that Microsoft's getting. But when you talk about 4D, you're talking about predictability. And when I talk to owners, those are the two key components is I want quality and predictability because, and I'll be honest, we haven't been great in the industry over time at delivering those with a level of, um, consistency that we should. And so this transformation, this ability to have this conversation is really kind of, it's really bringing that home and it's driving to that point. And I think, you know, the bigger problems that we're facing, there's technological solutions, but there's cultural solutions, uh, as well that need to go along with it. And that's solo where I want to kind of get to you on that last question of that competitive advantage. Because it really is about the cream rising to the top in the industry. We want those forward-thinking trade contractors, those forward-thinking general contractors, those forward-thinking architects and engineers to be a part of what's going on at Microsoft. But you just can't come with tech. You have to come with culture. And talk a little bit about, you know, does that go into or how does that play into your decision making when you're, you know, working with the teams on selecting your partners through the process? How does culture play into that? Um, <clears throat> interesting question. I don't think that we've really uh, thought about it from the digital building lifecycle perspective yet. But to think about how the teams of the future might be chosen uh, needs to be exactly from the teamwork perspective. Um, there, there might be individual superstars that know it all, and, and but 
but they easily become the gatekeepers of data and information. They they become the single point of contact for solving things. And everyone who is participating in the teamwork have a stake in the game. Um, and there are examples from uh, the world of soccer uh, in Europe that that you have the individual superstar players that make a lot of goals, uh, but if the rest of the team doesn't know how to win and how to play together, they might not win the whole tournament. But then there is an example from the country of Iceland that they might not have individual superstars, but as a team, they are the winning team. And that's what, what I'm hoping for from the digital building lifecycle perspective, that we start thinking about the digital plan of, of the project team and how do we balance it out in a way that there is continuous transparency, there is continuous knowledge transfer, uh, there is continuous augmentation of people's skills and, and upgrading and updating them uh, in the most positive way that everyone feels like they're part of the team, everyone feels ex ex inspired and excited about working on the project. Uh, and having that, that openness that, that you, you can be very independent in finding information and data because it's already been documented and embedded into the 3D world, etc. But then coming up with solutions and presenting them for the project team to uh, discuss and come to conclusions and, and um, consensus on. And that way, there is less burden on an individual about did you make the right decision or not. Uh, we can start tackling the, the trust issues that the industry has been dealing with for ages. Um, and the, the, there is more opportunity for finding and, and, and sub-optimizing that what is the best decision at that, this point in time if we are aiming at, at achieving different outcomes. Um, so I guess uh, thank you for bringing this up, Jeff. I, I think uh, we need to have more discussion about this uh, amongst the, the project team and how we can create more inclusive um, um, teamwork in the future and, and build that culture. I think you're doing it as, and, and you mentioned this, and it's really interesting that you mentioned it. I actually got to see Malcolm Gladwell talk at an MCAA national event a couple of years ago, and he talked directly about construction being soccer versus basketball. You can put a basketball team together, put three stars on it, and they can pretty much almost get all the way to the championship, where if you do that statistically in soccer, it doesn't work. And it was it drove a point home to me that we are only as good as our lowest common denominator, and we are best if we can upgrade those lowest common denominators, lean into them. I, this can come out positively or negatively. If you have a contractor that's just going to, quote unquote, figure it out on site, so you've done all your digital planning, you've done all that, and then over a cheeseburger, they decide to move a few things and switch a few things. Now you're in a lot of trouble and we can't have that anymore. And I think honestly, you're actually driving some of that culture and some of that shift without realizing it through the goals and guidance that you've provided. But also, look, it's trust, but verify you're measuring a lot of that. And by measuring those digital twins, by doing those laser scannings, by scans, by knowing that we're going to do reality capture, we're kind of putting some ropes around, uh, allowing it, but I love that you're going to to think about that because for me, 
It's really about uh, transparent trade contractors, transparent general contractors that are willing to open their books because you're opening your books and we're all going to get somewhere. Yes, the contracts need to guide things and we should never go past those things necessarily, but we also shouldn't let those limit where this industry and where groups like yours can go. And I think far too often we do let that limit, right? It's the, I'm going to open my books because contractually you told me to. That's that's just contractual communication. It's not collaboration. It's not leaning in and owning you, your project and what I'm delivering for you. And that's where we need to see some of that shift. John, I see you shaking your head. Probably brought a few things to mind there. Yeah. Uh, to make it, to kind of bring it down <clears throat> a little bit more on the practical side, based on what Sala said, one of the things that we're trying to promote and institutionalize within Microsoft is, um, for example, having the AE and the GC team take our BEP template and fill it out. Let's call it a pre-appointment BEP, where they actually give us the first draft of the BIM execution plan as part of their presentation. So BIM doesn't begin with contracts. Actually, it begins with procurement and with, with the RFP. So we want our, our AE and GC teams to read our BIM standards, which talk a lot about why we're doing BIM, why we're doing the digital building lifecycle, what that means to us, uh, how we plan on using all of this information for digital twins and simulations. And uh, you, you tell us, Miss, Mr. and Mrs. AE and GC, how you plan on delivering BIM to us because here's our vision for it. So, so when you let out an RFP, it's important to basically have some way to get feedback to the reviewing team, how they're going to deliver BIM. And, and the role of this BIM SME that I talked about, one of the things that the BIM SME can do is help the project delivery team evaluate the, the final candidates on how they're going to deliver BIM. So that's one very practical way to get her done in that regard uh, is, is to uh, issue, make, make sure that the, the design and construction teams issue a pre-appointment BEP. That's I, I I love it because you you did you went cultural there Sala and then John you went with like functionally what people can do so I could go on with this conversation forever but I am going to bring us to kind of a recap of what I've heard I want to thank both of you by the way this was exactly what I was hoping for I'm I'm so appreciative to have you know both of you open up and come on and you know I heard a lot of things here but for me in a recap. It's really about establishing that the owners have to start pulling the rope forward. No one can push a rope forward. And so if you're an owner out there and you're listening, you need to build a compassionate, empathetic, but enlightened team to start pulling this rope forward. Because as many GCs as we have out there that are enlightened and others that are enlightened, without the owner pulling, they're just pushing ropes uphill and they're not getting anywhere. So, And I think there's a lot of them out there. So there's an opportunity for competitive advantage for those folks that are embracing what you're talking about. And I'm hearing that as, as, as part of it. And that there's a strong connection, that this is not come together and build one thing and leave that good enlightened owners are thinking about a connection with their teams and really not just driving forward what they need for their employees and their facilities as they grow, 
but also for us as a building industry, as the built environment, to make this a career path that can finally understand that we can transformatively, transformatively affect the lives of everyone around us. If you're building bridges, roads, buildings, offices, manufacturing facilities, the end user is our world, our country, other countries, people. Right. And that's the impact that owners can have if they really think about it. So they've got to deliver more holistic buildings, right? That's what can change our world. And then look, this is all great, but you better have a plan. If you don't have a plan that includes your contracts, your technology, learning. I loved that, John, that, that the group at Microsoft has invested in a weekly half an hour to learn, to educate themselves, to consume information and grow. That's, that's commitment. So you got to have a plan and it's really beyond tech. It's beyond the bottom line that there isn't a value of this asset that is far greater than any one of its parts. And investing in that is what makes it win for everybody. And finally on this, you hit it here, I calling it institutionalizing culture, right? That we institutionalize this, that we make this a part of what we do. So hopefully that's a good recap. I mean, Salah, I want to give you a chance to, did I miss anything there? Was there anything for you to take away? And also let people know how to connect with you. Thank you, Chip. I think you yeah, nailed it. Uh, you summarized it perfectly. So it's like only thing that pops to my mind is that people think digitally uh, and go from there. So um, thank you so much, Chef, uh, and this jointed podcast. This was truly a pleasure. Thank you, John, for being the, the partner in crime here. Um, look me up on LinkedIn if you want to follow me or our continued discussion uh, after this podcast. I, I look forward to all the feedback. Thank you. Thank you, Salah. And I'm going to promote you a little bit there. If you all aren't following Salah on LinkedIn, you're missing out on incredible content and a great piece. I learn a lot by just following great people. And you're one of those, Salah. So thank you so much. And please, everybody listening, go out there and follow him. John, anything final that you, you know, I missed in that recap? And how can people connect with you? People can connect with me the same way via LinkedIn. <clears throat> I've been in LinkedIn almost since day one. Uh, John Stebbins. Uh, easy to find me. And uh, Jeff, I don't think I've heard a better recap. There's literally nothing I can add. It's your skill and your uh, ability to to crystallize and to stimulate. It's, it's been a wonderful experience being here with, with you and Sala. And uh, I thought you did a great job of pulling it all together. And now we just need to go out and lead and show show other people the way by example. Yeah, and I'm going to I'm again I'm going to promote you a little bit more. If you want to learn anything about what's really going on in the BIM world and it's not just um BIM for fashion, it's BIM for function, then follow John and connect with him. Read what he's putting out there, ask him questions. I I I can't thank both of you enough for for tuning in uh and for coming on the show and talking to me. I I think this is going to be a fantastic and I hope not the end of the conversations we get to have with y'all as we put these seasons out, as we get these episodes rolling, as we get this conversation rolling. So I want to thank everyone for tuning into this season of Disjointed. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app to learn more about Disjointed or read the show notes. Just stop by 
disjointed.fm. Do you have a show idea or want to lend your voice to the discussion? Then email me at jeff at disjointed.fm. This show is brought to you by Join, the decision-making platform for the built environment. Learn more at join.build.